Hey, welcome back again to the Cut Light and Smoke podcast presented by Zeal Cigars and coming to you live from the Huddle Up Store studios in beautiful, absolutely beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. It's about 73 degrees today and it is beautiful out there. Cut Light and Smoke podcast is the number one rated the top rated, the number one cigar podcast in the entire universe, outside of universes. I mean, anybody can make that boast, right? You can say I'm the number one this, number one that, and so on and so forth. So we do want to say thank you so much for you guys who have been listening to us for a long time now. We're at about 78,000 downloads, and we really do appreciate everybody out there listening to all the fun stuff that we talk about. So we're talking about today a, an important topic, and we'll get into that and why it's important. But we're testing out some cigars today, too. And typically, we use the podcast to test out cigars. People send us test blends and everything else like that. And we are – I'm here with my cohort, JB. JB, say what's up to the people. What's going on? What's going on? Um, do me a favor. Tell them what this brand is called. I don't even know what it's called. Go ahead and tell what, – what's it called? Uh, I don't know if I was if, if there wasn't periods behind each letter or after each letter I would say it was fard 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 P H R D P period H period R period D period so this is I guess it's a newer company from Dominican Republic is that correct I have no idea anything yeah. about them they're just from the Dominican is all I can tell you because their web page is in Spanish and the only way that I could even find the web page was by doing some deep digging on facebook wow and their web page is a dot net so .net. yeah i have absolutely okay. zero information on these cigars outside of the fact that they're from the dominican and zero information came this happens all the time does if you're going to send us cigars at least give us a note or something about us a lot of people find us on social media and send us cigars like hey i'm starting a new company here's my cigars and everything like that which is fine and i'm, I'm all behind it but the issue is i didn't know something about you and your company or who you even are so uh, I know this guy's reached out to me on Instagram, I believe, and they said, here, I'm going to send you some cigar, cigars to tell, you, tell me what you think. So we're smoking them right now, and what's your what's your take just immediately? I mean, uh, we don't even know the pricing behind these at all, So, but what's your take immediately? It's it's just very light and not not much going on yet. Not much going on yet, but we'll see. It's early. I just My, got it lit. Mine, it seems like mine's a Habano or a darker Connecticut. I would say it's probably a Habano. Um yeah, just a decent cigar. Not nothing, nothing big and spectacular about it or anything like that. So, just yet. But I'm just starting out. You can see that if you're watching the video. If you're not watching the video and you're listening at home, I'm less than a quarter way into the cigar. So, uh, but thank you so much for PHRD uh, actually sending us these, these cigars to smoke because it's always good to smoke a free cigar, right? Absolutely. I mean, we'll the try best... different stuff. You never know what people got out there. Right. Right. Hundred percent. So we're smoking these cigars and we're talking about uh, an important detail. I, I think it's important for all of us to discuss, but. We're talking about death and men and uh, how men deal with death and what we do and so on and so forth. And uh, this is this is a topic I want to talk about a long time. We've talked about death and you know after life after death experiences, things like that. Now we're talking about how do how do men deal with death in particular and what does that obligate you to as a man? Um, and this cigar podcast is about cigars, masculinity, and masculinity and culture in particular. So we're talking about how how do men deal with death in particular? So. I, one of the first questions I have for you is, who is the closest person to you, JB, currently in your life? And you're 32 years old, 33? Uh, 33, yeah. 30, 33 years old. Who's the closest person to you that's passed away? Not that turbo that just went by. Dang, that I thing's know. alive, dude. We have we have a we have a shop right next to us that's a motorcycle and and what UTV basically uh, yeah. off road off road vehicle. Uh, shop and so they're always testing their motorcycles back here, which makes us jealous during the day because we want to get out there and test ours. But you um, 
Yeah, no, but uh, to answer your question, um, man, that's hard. Uh, I had a... Or just somebody close. Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to... I, I've had probably a lot of friends that are a lot closer. Um, mm-hmm. I still have all my grandparents. Mm-hmm. I, I've been very fortunate to not really have um, a lot of, you know, tragedy, tragedy in, in any ways kind of hit my family, right? Mm-hmm. We've been very yes. fortunate. Very, My family's been very blessed to get through all of that. Um but as far as as far as that goes, uh, I had a, I've, I had a great grandmother. I wasn't super super close to her, but it's one of the deaths that I really really remember. Um, I had a couple friends that passed away on uh, motorcycles. Um, okay, I was really close to to both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, man, uh, oh, uh, we had a track coach um, that uh, randomly passed away. Um, he was actually the cross country coach. My buddy Donnie was like, it was like his second father. Um, he had a stomach aneurysm while he was just painting a bedroom one day, and that was it. A stomach aneurysm. Yep. Oh wow. He had a aneurysm blow up. Yep. Mm. And uh, that was that. But I've heard a brain aneurysm. I never heard of stomach aneurysm. Yeah, the before. stomach ones yeah. are. It, it, both of them are bad. Like it's rare that people survive either one of them. But yeah, it's it, they're crazy. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say most of the people that I've been close to have been have been have been friends. Um, my family's still pretty young, so uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Couple couple I had a couple people that I was pretty close to that uh, like moved away. Man, that hurt me more than the people that I've lost in my life. Yeah, there's three things that are life changing to people. Yeah, there's, there's 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 three. I mean, there's not. I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of things that are life changing, but. Um, moving is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting married and having kids, kids is another major life change, and then finally death. Death is a major life change. These are these are things that can spin people into depression or depressing thoughts and what have you, and so on and so forth. And I've had all those things happen to me. Well, yeah, in, for sure. In particular, so I've had people I I love to death and care for deeply move away, or I've moved away from them. Um, and it's just a it's a it's a crazy thing. So. Uh, this comes on the heels of this past weekend hearing about a great mentor of mine. And I've actually probably mentioned him several times here before when I've talked about mentorship. Uh, I have probably five guys in my life that were dear mentors. And uh, I call my top five outside my dad. You know, my dad is probably one of the most important guys in my life. But my dad's getting up there. My dad's 78 mm-hmm. right now, you know, and he's in good health. Walks probably like four or five miles a day. Uh, you know, I, I expect nothing less, less from a double doc. And most of you guys would, would probably agree with me if you see my dad on any of the videos. Uh, he's a hardcore guy, but, um, so there was a, uh, when I was in high school, uh, in Loveland high school in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, one of my best friends, his name was Dan Plug, and Dan and I palled around, uh, junior, senior year and became best friends. And when I got married, he was my best man at my wedding. Uh, he had a father, um, his name was Harvey. And when I was hired at uh, a large church in Cincinnati, Ohio, at the time they hired Harvey along with me. Uh, to be my direct superior. And I, I knew Harvey because obviously Dan was his son. So I knew Harvey for a very long time. And, uh, but I didn't get to know Harvey. I, I got to know Harvey incredibly well over the last four, over the next four years and uh, probably made one of the biggest impacts in my life as far as communication is concerned, as far as speaking is concerned, as far as conflict resolution is concerned, uh, and as far as probably life as a man and when to speak and when not to speak. Uh, is concerned. Uh, just to give you a little background on Harvey, uh, he worked with a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ for a very long time in their Athletes in Actions, uh, a- Athletes in Action section of their uh, ministry. He was basically HR for that 
that section, and they used to call him the Velvet Brick because he was so kind. But uh, there's times that they let you go for things that you should have done or you did or it's time to move on. And, and people would be like, am I, am I fired? Is that, is that what's happening right now? Am I, am I fired? You know? um, and I could definitely see that. In He's my, like, well, yeah. you don't work for us yeah. anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I didn't. I, I, I never knew Harvey that well. I mean, he was my buddy's dad. You know, I, I knew him from you know, spending the night at my buddy's house or what have you um, and seeing him around the community. He's very, very involved in, in Loveland uh, in the community and everything like that. And Dan was a soccer player and I was a football player. So, you know, if you guys are in high school in the nineties, the you know, those guys typically didn't mix, but Dan and I were best friends. It was really great. Um, Dan went on to be a pastor and still is a pastor today. And I went to ministry as well. Uh, and then when I was working with Harvey for four years, man, he was just incredible, an incredible man. And, uh, even to this day, I mean, for probably, I've been in Phoenix for about since Oh five, I think is when I moved here. Okay. Uh, I moved from that position to this position here in Phoenix. And uh, I would call Harvey on road trips all the time. And I'd call him at least once a year just to talk with him a little bit and say, you know, how you catch up a little bit. When I was ordained as a pastor out here in Phoenix, Harvey flew out here for my ordination meeting. We played a round of golf at Paradise Valley uh, um, Golf Course. We was in a big golf course, a little par three, but I don't play golf very well. So Harvey took it easy on me a little bit. Uh, it was just a great time. We got some food and he was part of the ordination process for me, which if you don't know anything about pastors and ordination, it's basically a questioning of all your theology and what you believe and how it plays out in your practical life and how that plays in your ministry and everything. And Harvey flew out here from, for about four or five days and we had a great time. And that was probably the last time I spent a significant amount of time with Harvey. Now I'd flown back to Cincinnati and I'd seen him a couple of times and everything before he passed. And this weekend, uh, I got notice, you know, that from my buddy that um, his father had passed. And uh, for the last two years, I think Harvey um, has Alzheimer's or dementia. I can't remember. Um, and, you know, it was it's a hard way to go. My, my grandmother, uh, Reith, actually died of, uh, of, of Alzheimer's and, and dementia. So it was really, really difficult. But it was uh, it was really interesting because um, I got that. And I, I told my wife immediately um, uh, Harvey, Harvey had passed. And I went down, sat at the kitchen table and just kind of, just kind of soaked a little bit and cried a little bit. And, uh, she's putting her arm around me. She, I'm so sorry, honey. And, and I said, yeah, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm broken up about it. Um, now keep this in mind, just because somebody passes, um, and it says this in the Bible, it says, we don't, we don't grieve as those people who don't have hope. We do have hope. So I believe I'll see Harvey again. I believe I, I believe he's with Jesus. I believe he's in heaven. And finally, his faith is made sight, if you would, as it says in scriptures. And I'm very, very, very excited about that. But there's a very big hole that it leaves when you know somebody's no longer here on this earth. And it was really interesting because it was one of the few times my my kids have seen me grieve since I've been over over 45. And I'm 49 years old right now. And so I'm 45 at this point. I, I, last time I, they, they saw me grieve about somebody was about 45. And, and I had... Um, I've had people very close to me die. My grandfather, who I was very close to, Grandpa uh, Papa Willie, um, Grandpa Sutherland, uh, when he passed away, um, I had to I had to call my parents and, and tell them, you know. And I remember very distinctly, I'll get choked up thinking about it, but I remember very distinctly my my dad telling my mom because they were on vacation, and mm -hmm. my dad telling my mom on the on the cell phone. My cousin Casey, who's another pastor, he called me and said, um, "Bradley, I got something." big to tell you. And I need you to, are you sitting down? I'm like, I don't, I can't sit down. And I was at a 5k that I was running for a ministry I was involved in. And I just got done running the 5k and, and uh, he calls me and he says, um, he says, Papa Willie just, just died, man. 
and I fell to my knees and I was just broken hearted. And he's like, the hard thing is I need you to tell your parents cause they're out of town, you know? And, uh, nobody else wanted it. I felt honored because I was entrusted at that moment for, um, not only, um, not only communicating this to my mom, which is, it's her dad, um, and, and my dad, and I remember my dad, um, when he told my mom, he said, uh, he said, I, I, I told him and he started crying because they were actually, um, closer to my grandparents than he was to his parents, if mm-hmm. you would. So, um, so dad starts crying and he tells mom and mom collapses and dad's <laughs> so weird thinking about this again because he says i have her brad i have her right now i got her in my arms everything's gonna be okay and uh and i could hear him choking up at that point and i remember being so impressed by his ability to keep it together for the sake of my mom who was just losing it i mean not losing it but you know she's grieving her dad just died like anybody would would grieve and uh it taught me something right there it taught me something that when, when death knocks, and it's going to knock for all of us, and we're all going to lose people, um, there's a time to really grieve, and there's a time that you have, to, you have to keep it together to get things accomplished and things done, especially as a man. And that doesn't mean you can't grieve. doesn't mean you can't so sh- uh, show sorrow. And actually says in the Bible that a sad face is good for the soul. I think when it's appropriate, you need to have that sad face because it is good for your soul. It is good to cry. It is good to be emotional. It is good, especially as a man. You need to have that outlet. And a lot of us just suppress that and we become angry about something versus letting that out and being like, man, I need to cry. I need to get this out, particularly with safe people and so on and so forth in your life. And uh, so my grandfather was one. Uh, I had a chance to, to preach his funeral. I think that was really uh, meaningful or speak at his funeral. I can't remember if I preached the whole thing or I, I did one. I did one of those. I can't remember. Um, my grandma and grandpa both. Um, but, and then my uncle who was, uh, very close to me, like a second father, uncle Jimmy, um, who's my cousins. I was incredibly close to like you are with Brad. I'm very close Mm -hmm. to Casey and Jeremy. Yeah. Very close to Casey and Jeremy. And my uncle died in the hospital. And, um, I remember running out for food to get everyone food because the whole family was at the hospital. I ran out to go get food and I came back and he was gone, Mm. you know, and my aunt was right next to his bed holding his hand. Um, and he was, he was he was turning blue and he was, he was, he'd obviously gone. And I remember, um, everybody in the room just, just really, really sad and really, really heartbroken. Uh, and I was too, and I was crying and everything else like that. Um, and I I think that when it comes to grief, you know, for men in particular, there needs to be a time that you demonstrate that and show that in a way to your family. So they see that you're transparent. I think a, a lot of us, when grief hits us or when something hard hits us uh, in life, particularly death, uh, we tend to suppress that and get angry about it versus actually dealing with it uh, with trusted people around. Do you see that? Well, for sure. Well, I think it's a, depending on how often it's something that you have to deal with, mm-hmm. it's, it's not something that, I mean, you can sit in a mirror and talk to yourself all day about how you're going to deal with it. You can, you could even do the Nikola Tesla thing, man, and have lucid dreams and run these scenarios through your head day after day after day after day. But your mind is a different thing, man. And there's mm-hmm. uh, there's things and places of it that are going to open up and things of places that are going to close based off of um, how that affects you at that time, right? 
Yeah. You know, and yeah. there's, um, like, my grandfather right now is 80. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got to go back and see him over the, uh, I think it was, like, early spring. When did I go see him? Like, maybe the summer, maybe, I was there? Yeah, I think you were in the summer, yeah. Like, late fall? I don't know. I don't yeah. remember. Early fall. But, um, and he's not doing too well right now. And, um, you know, right now, if I think about it, it makes me a little bit sad, right? Because um, that would be one of the first people that, like, really meant something to me, yeah. right? Somebody that was a mentor, somebody I looked up to, somebody mm-hmm. that um, taught me life skills that I'm never going to forget. Like, the reason I can work on cars is because of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? We so, work on cars a lot together. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for your grandfather teaching you that because yeah. there's times that we've had to fix each other's cars and get things done and with other friends, you know, but, and, and helping their cars. Yeah. But I, I can't tell you how I'm going to act at that time. Right. I can tell you right. right now that I'll be I'll be really, 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 really sad. Mm. Um, there'll be times that I'll miss him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because um, there's times where I might something might be going on with my car and I give him a buzz, right? Because that's the dude you call, right? That's who you rely on for yeah, that. Yeah, your papa, yeah. So, um, but I don't have the same emotional connection that I have to that grandfather as I do my other grandfather. Okay, yeah. Totally different different connection. If something were to happen to that other grandfather, mm-hmm. um, I would be crushed in a different way. Right, right. I would right. be crushed more... Um, more soulfully, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but just talking about it's got you got bags under your eyes, man. I can well, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But um, mm-hmm. but I know where that grandpa is spiritually, mm-hmm. right? And I know where right. he is um in his life. Like that's that's the grandpa that's like you, bro. That's like. Mm. If I die coming home from church, at least I went to church Sunday. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're like, if I die on my motorcycle, at least I die with a full heart, bro. Exactly. Like, exactly. You know, so and and that's kind of his mentality. Right. Um, right. So, you know, there there's there's different things and different connections that you have with people. And it's hard to say how each one's gonna hit you in any moment, man. And and 100%. I think that I could sit here and talk about and run these scenarios through my head and and picture it and picture what he's going to look like in his casket to prepare myself for when my grandfather passes away. Mm-hmm. And none of that is going to, none of that is going to, it's it's like preparing for a test and then showing up and nothing that you studied is on the test, bro. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, I'm, but there are things. Yeah. I, I was going to tell you, I think that, I, I think there's I, ways. I, I derailed can, myself. I was going <laughs> to lead you into it and I just stopped. Well, I, and this isn't like pre, we don't, we don't ever script anything that we do. So these are just, I think there's certain things that you can do as a man to prepare for the inevitable, which is death. Um, and by the way, if everyone's if anyone's ever looking for a book on suffering and how to suffer well and how to how to how to go through that and everything like that and the, and the you know the, the 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 wisdom of the Almighty in that, um, I would definitely read the Bible. It's a particular book in the Bible. It's my favorite book in the Bible. It's the Book of Job. Uh, I would absolutely read that and uh, le- look at some of the dialogue. And I'm not saying that the that his friends gave him a bunch of wisdom, but at the very end, God shows up and kind of sets everything right. It's a very, very interesting book. Um, as a man, I think one of the first things to prepare for death, because it will happen to everybody, um, yeah, 10 out of 10 people die. They, they, well, they say that there's two things, two absolutes in life, death and taxes. Yeah, I wonder, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you take into consideration Enoch and, uh, oh, man, who was the Elijah? other one? Elijah. Elijah, that didn't die? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you take them into consideration what the actual percentage is, it's got to be like 
zero 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 yeah point zero 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 seventeen zeros to the one you know or something like that yeah so <laughs> most people die everyone's gonna die uh but in, in that regard and i'm not making light of this i'm just saying as a man i think there's a couple things you can do prepare yourself for the inevitable because it's particularly at 49 years old at this point in my life i'll be 50 next year or this summer in particular and i'm preparing for my parents eventual transcending out of this out of this planet meaning i'm preparing for both my parents to pass away um and so there there's preparation you can do for inevitability which i think is important because everyone dies but then there's also preparation you can do in your heart for tragedy and and tragedy is something when when death comes in an unsuspected or un un desirable way all of a sudden it happens tragically something happens a life is cut short somebody's you know, 50 years old someone's 13 15 children anything yeah. like that i think there's ways as a man you can prepare yourself for that so that you can have a better outcome and minister very well and or um care for those people around you the very first thing that i would do is prepare yourself for that i would think mentally through how you would react to that meaning like i i, I get this information and I think what 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 I'm going to say here in the next few sentences might not be all that shocking to you, but it's necessary for you to understand. First, I think you need to go privately and you need to grieve somewhere privately. Do whatever you need to privately, ball, scream, yell, whatever you want to do, do that privately. Then there's a public grief that you have to do. And that is where you're with people grieving over the tragedy or over the situation where somebody passes and you're going, okay, now I have to control the, the, the emotion that's going on. And unfortunately, I see some people not be able to control the emotion going on. And as a man, I'm not trying to ask you to be a stoic like Marcus Aurelius or anything like that or any of the great you know, philosophers of, of old. What I am asking you to do is being able to control your emotions in a highly emotional state is maturity for a man. That's a very good thing to do. A very good thing to do is be able to go, okay, things are out of control emotionally. I need to keep my wits about me so that I can better serve those people around me, including my children, my wife, my parents, other people around me that I love and I care about. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're, you know, um, stoic and or um, disconnected. I think that's, that's important. You're not stoic or disconnected. So that, I think it's privately and then publicly. The, the third thing I would tell you uh, in particular, is talk about the person and their impact on your life. It, it's going to be grievous a little bit because if you care about somebody and they do pass, it's it, it's grievous. I mean, it's it's a it's a hard thing to talk about. Like my my uncle Jimmy. I mean, I, I love him to death, and and I remember sitting over in his in the, in my cousin's house and we watched TV at night and stuff like that. Eating eating uh, what what's like, what are they called? Uh, Totino's pizza rolls. Things like that. I mean, just just having a, a blast. And Uncle Jimmy would always always jack with us boys because there's three boys and we're all teenagers. And he would always jack with us. And he'd lay on the couch and, and he couldn't get up because he had a bad hip at one point. And he'd ha he walked with a cane and he'd say things like, you know, uh, come over here. And we'd just screw with him a little bit. And I'm like, no, you can't get me, Uncle Jimmy. But if we got too close, man, he'd grab us and pull us in. Those are fun memories to remember about people that made an impact in your life. And that's going to help sustain you in the midst of grief. So remembering the great things. And then I think the, the, the fourth thing I would definitely say is make sure you have a good theological outlook on what happens when you die. That the person that you, that you know is not necessarily here anymore and they're not in this bodily form, but they're, 
with the Lord or they're with, they're with the, you know, they've gone on to their reward, you know, in particular if they've, if they've had faith in Christ, you know, but um, that's important to recognize. And there's sometimes when, when people don't, you know, they have no faith and don't care about anything else like that. And I had dear friends of mine who are atheists and died. I grieve in a different way for that, to be honest. I grieve and I'm like, man, it just, it seems like a life cut short of somebody who could really know who God is and really know who Jesus Christ is and their life could be so much more full and, and exciting and so on and so forth. And at that point, it's not time to, it's not time to cast judgment because you're not the judge, only God is. And so you're not, you're not talking about, you know, heaven and hell and things like that. You're just, you're grieving, you know, on, on how the life was, was cut short and everything else like that. I think one of the, one of the hardest conversations I ever had with somebody about death in particular is uh, I had an old student of mine, and uh, he was a, a great football player, phenomenal football player, one of the best linebackers I'd, I'd ever seen, to be honest with you. And I was a varsity football coach before, so I've seen some great great linebackers in my day. Uh, he's one of the best. He really was. Uh, but his dad left him when he was young, if you would, very, very young, and didn't know him. And then his dad ended up getting cancer, and he ended up reconnecting with his dad. Uh, for, I can't remember how long. It was a very short period of time before his father finally passed. And when his dad finally passed, he called me and he was bawling his eyes out. And he just kept thinking to my, he kept thinking to himself, like, why am I so emotionally upset about this? I didn't really even know my dad until the last, you know, four or five months. And I think that's, that's one of the final stages of, of, of grief, if you would, is you're, you're grieving what could have been and never was. Yeah, unfinished business. Yeah. You're grieving what could have been and never was. Like you, you wanted that relationship with your dad. You wanted a really, really good friendship or companionship with your father in particular. And when that didn't happen, one, it serves as an example for us who are our dads to love our kids and enjoy ourselves and everything else like that. The second thing it does is allow that person to grieve. I told, I, I told the young man, I'm like, it's okay to cry, bro. It's okay to get this stuff out where we're, I was crying with him on the phone. And I, I think one of the things that um, when somebody passes and you're trying to keep it together, that doesn't mean you don't show grief and doesn't mean you don't cry in particular. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen so many guys out there that are like, you know, as a guy, you got to keep it together and, you know, you got you to be the strong rock that everybody can lean on. And I'm like, bro, who's your rock? Who's yours? And when, here's the thing, when you're alone by yourself and something grievous happens, you should mourn. That's important for you to mourn. If you don't mourn, let that mourning out, your, your soul loses just a little bit of itself. Like there, there's, I mean, in all honesty, you shouldn't always keep it together. You really shouldn't. And so even, even scripturally speaking, I'm not trying to make this into a sermon, but even scripturally speaking, there's people you mourn with and you mourn with those who mourn. You laugh with those who laugh. Like when someone's mourning, you know, it even says in scripture, it's good to go in the house of mourning because what that does is it teaches you a little something about the finality of life and the appreciation of it when that happens in particular. So I think that as we're talking about well, this. Well, you don't feel alone. Right. That, yes. Talk on that a little more. Expand you on that. You don't feel alone. Somebody else, you're not the only person that's lost somebody, and mm. you're not the only person that's ever going to lose somebody, and you're not the only person even in your family right. that lost that person. Right. 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 So right. Um, I think that's the other part of it, too, is like they don't, you know, you just you need to not realize you're, you're not the only one. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting, too, because I think people go through different stages. Um. Like, like in psychology, they talk about like how people, people go through stages of life. Like you're adolescent, you go through this stage, you go through this stage, you go through this stage, right? I think there's different stages with death too. Cause you said something about this recently with your kid and, um, unless I would say, unless you grew up very young in the church mm -hmm. and you have a very finite 
handle on your beliefs and your spirituality as far as how, what it what it means to be to die and what it means to be uh you know brought back home with Jesus and what it means to have your soul saved, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, which is rare. There's not a ton of younger kids I would say under 18, 20 years old that have that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um every kid when they're young starts to realize this point of like dang, I could die. Oh and, yeah. And I don't get to do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think you said something about your son was kind of going through that. Like he was kind of afraid of dying. Right. Yeah. In particular when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And then he still is. He's, he's well, terrified. Yeah, I of mean, it. I mean, he's terrified of it. I yeah. mean, there's times I even sit on my couch and I hear like, I just recently heard about somebody I used to work with at Apple um, recently just passed in an accident here in Phoenix uh, uh, last weekend or the weekend before. Mm-hmm. Um, very good. Per- very good coworker mm-hmm. enjoyed my time with that person a lot he's going to be missed a lot mm-hmm. um very sad to hear mm-hmm. but uh at the same time like um you know it, it makes me think about like dang what if i went tomorrow mm-hmm. what if i went today and then you do get kind of like you know you get in your feels and you get in your head a little bit about like um, especially when you're younger, right? Because you just, depending on what you're, what you envision of your, of your life being like, and what you want out of your life, I'm very detailed and very specific about what I've wanted out of my life. Most of my, at least certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I was like laying on my deathbed and I never had those things, it'd be a hard thing for me to, to mm-hmm. overlook. Right. So that's another stage, right? You get that middle ground where you, you're still kind of maybe a little bit afraid at times where it kind of sneaks up on you and you get that kind of gut feeling of like, dang, I don't. I don't want that to happen right now. And then I think that your final stage is, is one of two things or three things, depending on how you look at it, right? Mm-hmm. If you become more connected with, with God and Jesus and you realize that, you know, you can be saved through Jesus and that there's a life after death and you have that hope. And, and, and then eventually you get to that old age where mm-hmm. you kind of accept death in two ways, right? Mm-hmm. Or three ways, really. You either accept it because you just realize it's going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's kind of like one of the saddest ones. Right. And then you accept it because you realize you're going home. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's like there's like a weird third one where like you don't want to be a burden. So you just like put yourself in a corner away from everybody. Yeah. Because it's yeah. easier to just go into a shell than it is to deal with the fact that like there's almost more pain mm. in saying goodbye than just leaving. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've I've heard some uh, some people have have some really interesting visions very close to death where they're knocking on on death's door. Yeah, I think I've told the story before, but I'll tell it really quick about my grandmother Mossy, who was married to my Papa Willie, who mm-hmm. who passed as well. She she ended up passing after him. Uh, I was down in Belize at the time on a mission trip uh, with the church, and um, I just had this incredible experience. And I mean very stressful experience with one of my guys that was with me that almost died. Mm-hmm. So he had to have an emergency appendectomy. Uh, it was crazy. We were racing three hours in the jungle on these dirt roads and a truck and he was in and out of consciousness. We're trying to get in the hospital. Then after all of that, uh, I get a phone call at the hospital and it was my wife who called me all the way in Belize from Ohio. And this is back mm-hmm. in the 90s, just so everybody understands that. So this is, this is a big deal, you know, to get an international call and so on and so forth. And my... I, talked to my wife she goes how you doing sweetheart and I, I told her about my buddy Jason and everything like that Jason if you're watching this I'm so glad things are going well now um 
the uh, I'll never forget. She goes, are you sitting down? I'm like, just tell me the kids are okay, man. Just tell me the kids are okay. She's like, the kids are fine and your parents are fine. And I was like, <sighs> I could breathe. She goes, but Grandma Mossy just passed. And it was interesting because um, when my grandma passed, my sister was there. Sister Carrie was yeah. there in particular. And all the family was surrounding Grandma literally on her deathbed. She was on her bed and she was getting ready to pass on to uh, the next life. And um, she's, she, Carrie whispered to Grandma that Bradley's not here. Uh, right now, Grandma, but he's he's praying for you, and and it, it's okay to go, and and what have you, and uh, Grandma, she had told me that Grandma said to her, um, "That's okay, because Bradley is where he's supposed to be right now, and if I wasn't there, Jason probably would have died. Yeah, he wouldn't have had that right. surgery. Right. So that leads me into the the idea that you know when when people are passing over from this plane to the next. Um, there's sometimes we've, we've seen many different people have tremendous amounts of experience where, I mean, we have this documented where people could actually, they seem like they see the other side. They see maybe even family members, things like that, that are really interesting. I mean, that, that's very, very interesting. And at that point, there's no, there's no reason to lie to people when you're on death's door. I mean, the last thing you want to do before you see God is lie. And so, I mean, Steve jobs in particular was known to say, Oh, Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then he's gone. You know, um, there's a lot of people, you know, and so my grandma saying that about, you know, Bradley is where he needed to be. I tracked the time that she said that to the time that I was there. And it's exactly where Jason had the appendectomy. Hmm. So exactly the same time, which is kind of cool. And I think it, when you're transitioning from this, this life to the next, there's, a, there's an incredible, you know, almost surrealness that happens that um, can be a beautiful thing for the people who are passing on, particularly if they, they're, they're very secure and and, and why and so on and so forth. Yeah, a lot of times in life you see, you'll see some kind of death, but then you'll see some sort of life also very closely related to it or even a, even directly after it at the same time as it. Um, this is one of my coolest stories, or not my coolest stories, this is one of my favorite stories that I think is really cool. Mm. Um, there's a, so there's a, there's a rap artist I follow. Um, his name is Royce the Five Nine. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard of him. He's got an album called The Allegory, mm-hmm. and there's a song on there. Oh, man, and I wish I could remember the name of the track. Um, but he's telling a story about when his grandmother died, mm. and his kid was born the same day in the same hospital, and he didn't even know his grandma was in that in an accident in there. Oh, wow. And he's, he's on a different floor getting on an elevator, and he's telling the way he tells the story through the song is beautiful. It's one of why, why he's one of my favorite artists. Mm. Mm. Um but he goes through and he's like, you know, I'm on the elevator and my uncle gets on and my uncle's like, yo, are you going up to see granny? And he's like, what do you mean, granny? And he's like, yo, granny's here. And that same night before he went to the hospital because his baby was being born, mm-hmm. he met Marshall. He met Eminem. Oh, wow. And who he later became signed to. Oh, wow. So That's like, yes, yeah, so like he was doing a show. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be doing a show. He goes on stage. His son's being born. He does the show. Mm-hmm. He gets off, meets Marshall, runs, makes it to the to the uh, hospital before his son's born. And while he's going in the elevator to go to where the floor his son's on, gets on an elevator with a family member who says, "Dude, Granny's on this other floor." Wow! And he just goes through this this storytelling about like. Yo, I'm on one floor, glad that my son's being born, but at the same time, my granny's on the other floor dying. Mm, mm. It's just 
it's beautiful in a lot of ways. And I, I think I think that's one of the best ways to look at death is it's a transition in I know a lot of people are afraid. I mean, death's one of the number one things people are afraid of because I, I think if I want to go theologically into this, I'll say this, that we were never meant to die. When God created man, he created us to live mm. eternally with him. And because sin entered the world, we die because of that. Um, this earthly body dies, but our, our soul doesn't. Our soul spends eternity with God or eternity separated from God. So I think that's... We know that intrinsically, and that's why our souls are afraid of death. It was never meant for us. And so when, mm. when that happens and when, when you start to really realize this, this, is a, this is a tragic part of life, and this is a, but this is a real part of life that you have to get ready for, um, there needs to be a, a maturity about that journey to understand death and understand how to deal with death that is necessary, necessary for you to impact, serve, and love the people around you very, very well um, as a man in particular so that upon your death, because we're all going to die, I'm going to die, JB's going to die, you listening or watching this, one day you're going to die. And so it's important to recognize that when you do die, and this is one of the, one of the best things I've, I could ever imagine, even with the passing of my, my dear, dear mentor, Harvey, um, I know how he'd want me to react. I know exactly how he'd want, re- want me to react. He trained me how to, as a pastor in particular, and as a man. He trained me how to deal with death, you know, and we had to deal with it in church a lot. I mean, I've done more funerals than I can tell you, you know. So, but I, in, in all honesty, I will say that how you deal with death as a man can impact greatly those people around you and to be emotionally available, emotionally mature and strategic about your grief as a man can really go a long way in serving the people around you. I think that's very important. I am not one of these guys that say you need to keep it all together and not show any emotion whatsoever. I think that's foolishness. And I think it's immaturity to do that. I think it's necessary as a man, as a mature man in particular to show emotion when things like that happen, you know, appropriate degrees, particularly for the sake of, you know, serving those people around you. You know what's interesting? I just this just hit me. We did an episode on like like what it means to be like a man here in the US, like like what does it mean to transition from like boyhood to manhood? Yeah. And a lot of other cultures have something, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got the bar mitzvahs. I mean even mm-hmm. even you got quinceañeras for girls becoming women, right? Like Yeah. Um but like there's uh man, I kind of forgot where I was going with that for a second. Oh man, they're saying you're saying that there's okay with there's transitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's uh, but there's nothing that like really does that with, with death either. Mm -hmm. That's that's why I think it's important for men to train other men how to deal with this. I I really do. I think particularly as a dad, I my my son. I mean, I think I'm just I'm dealing with men. I'm not dealing with women, but I'm just when I'm talking to my son and I'm talking to other guys around me. Uh, particularly when things happen. And that's important that you understand how to control your emotion and everything. And I'm not saying not be emotional or anything like that, but how to control it in a way that is strategic so you can serve people around you because that also makes you dependable as a man. Mm. Okay, you're the guy that's not losing it. Okay, you can still have your wits about you and do things when you need to. For example, when friends of mine, dads die or something like that, I'm one of the first people they call. Hey, I want to talk to you and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on you know, how I deal with this? And have you planned a funeral? I've planned multiple funerals before. 
you know, have you planned a funeral? What, what, what do you do in these things? And so on and so forth. And that's just, that's just stuff that you have to do. And to be at the age that I'm at right now, not to know how to do that, I think is very irresponsible. I mean, I'm, I'm 49 years old. My parents could pass away anytime. I don't want them to pass away for many years. And by God's grace, they won't. But it's important to know that when this happens, there's an estate. Mm-hmm. There, I'm the executor of the estate. There's a will. There's the, there's the funeral plans, the funeral payments. There's everything that has to go along that that I should be responsible for understanding. And so did we ever do that episode? Yeah, we did that episode with Money Guy Dale where we talked about how to prepare for. Oh, will and tr- yeah, a, a living trust. I think we did. Like an yeah. epi- I'm pretty we sure did. we did. Yeah, we did. A living trust is very, very important because it keeps all the assets of your family out of probate court. And so if you don't have a living trust, mm-hmm. you absolutely should get one, gentlemen, because or have your parents get one, because what that does essentially is it keeps the government away from the assets, legally speaking. So if, if your family has a lot of assets like mine does or anybody else like that, I'm sure they have some assets like a house or cars or things like that uh, or properties anywhere. What that living trust does, it literally allows you, okay, to control that without going through probate court where the government tries to really assess. And that could take months, sometimes years where the government assesses how much should you actually get of that and what's taxable and everything else like that. Get a lawyer, uh, get an accountant, uh, you know, uh, somebody and get, get together a, a living trust. That's very, very important so that when you do die, okay, your kids aren't scrambling to figure out what's going on as well. My parents have already taken care of that. We're taking care of that with our kids. Savannah is the executor of our state, uh, essentially. And so she will decide how everything goes. We've already talked to our kids about this, by the way. It's, it's been a, a great conversation with our kids. They understand that Savannah's running the executive. She's the executive of our state. So all of our assets will go through her. They'll be divided equally among the children and everything. She'll be the one dividing them. And so on and so forth. And our family, I th- I'm one of three as well. So my, my family, I, I basically do the same thing, you know. So, and it usually starts with the older child. You know, you usually have the older child as the executive, if they're somewhat responsible and what have you. And Savannah's super responsible. <laughs> I don't know why my parents put me as the executor, you know. But um, in, in that regard, I think it's very important to be, be prepared for death in that regard. And don't be afraid of your emotions as you go into it, gentlemen. That's, that's important. So let's, you know... I, I, on a lighter note, if you would, to lighten up the podcast a little bit, what do you think about your cigar? Um, you know, it wasn't bad. It uh, it had it had some really good hints of um, really good cigar. It had uh, some really Cuban esque notes through the middle. Okay. Um, little little earthy, little grassy, some sweetness. Um, kind of falls off a little bit towards the end of the second third going into the the, the final third mm-hmm. and then this this final third right now has kind of um it's kind of gotten to like a little bit more of um some earthy leather but there's still some creaminess it's it's a solid smoke man mm-hmm. I, I you know if if it's over golly if it's over eight bucks I'd have a hard time spending that um but it's quality, I'd say. It's not uh, bad. Th- this cigar is a quality cigar. It's got a quality wrapper on it. Um, it looks like it's a, uh, a Habano. It also looks as if uh, it's it's more of a smooth and creamy cigar, more smooth and creamy Habano. Okay. A little bit of bite on the back end as far as the nasal cavity through the retrohale. Uh, not a lot of change up and not a lot of flavor necessarily. I don't yeah. have a whole lot of flavor. I have that's that. what happened with this one. It just yeah. hit pockets of just. I was sitting out there talking to uh, one of the guys, and he was like, um, "How's it taste?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's kind of Cuban esque a little bit, where you get that kind of boring cardboard." 
not much coming from it. Right, right, right. This this isn't, but it's but it's not off putting. I'll say this isn't a bad cigar. I'd say it's an okay cigar. I'd rate it in the eighties. It's I, I wouldn't rate it in the nineties at all. It's it's one of the better random manufactured cigars that we've gotten in a while. Hundred percent, dude. We've gotten some dog rockets. I mean, awful, awful cigars. We really have, and it's unfortunate because people are sending us terrible cigars. But uh, once in a while, we get it. We get a decent cigar, and I'd say this is a decent cigar. If this is anywhere between six to eight bucks, I think it's a solid. On brand, yeah, yeah, sixty-eight bucks, but I would not, I would not put it over nine at all. Well, if it's over nine, yeah. then you're, <laughs> I mean, you got the Don Carlos at thirteen dollars, dude. You you really want to fight Fuentes Don Carlos with this? No, not at all. I doesn't have a chance against Don Carlos. <laughs> Come on, dude. You know, well, if they're both Dominican, Don Carlos, I mean, Fuente is, is they they own a majority of the Dominican tobacco. It's, you know, this this isn't bad, man. I'm. I'm I'm more impressed with this than I I had low expectations. My expectations are uh, yeah. exceeded, I would say. So, Ferd, PHRD company, thank you for sending this. Uh, good. I would say keep blending and make it a little more interesting. You know, to be honest with you, send uh, more information. I know nothing about yeah. this blend. I know nothing about the cost. I, I don't even know anything. how I could get one if I wanted to get one. Right. We'd like to hear some of your 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 thoughts on on this. So, PHRD, thank you so much for sending these out and for. The Cut, Light, and Smoke podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, If you did, please drop a comment below, and we'll meet you in the comment section. So for the Cut, Light, and Smoke podcast, I've been Bradley. He's been JB. We are out of here like last year. Peace.